0: it's great, (laughs) really great to see all of you tonight and um, I tell you, during during this time of, um, you just never know um, because of one thing or a dozen, you never know if you're going to come to church to a few hundred people or you're going to come to church to, to just a few people. But uh, I want to tell you, it is regardless of how many there are. It has been so refreshing to me every time that I have opportunity to gather with the people of God. It is life-giving. Um, <clears throat> somebody was saying what they felt they had learned from this uh, pandemic, and we were it caused me to start thinking. Well, what you know? What have we learned? What have I learned? and i won 't bore you with my answer, but one thing that i I really think we're all going to come away with is a renewed appreciation for every opportunity we have to gather with the people of God um, I know uh, I was kind of bogged down yesterday just working through some stuff, just heavy emotional stuff, and I just kind of- I know you never get this way it's it's the other, people in the other service that get this way, but uh I was just kind of down, just kind of feeling like I was trying to swim in quicksand. And um, I ended up going to the church softball game last night. Um, and they were so nice. They gave me a jersey and I sent a picture to some of my friends. Their advice, they sent these concerned emojis. Pastor, be sure you've met your deductible before you get out there on the field. And I said, no, I'm just the, I'm just the token pastor on the, on the, uh, the bleachers. But I I, I I went home and I, I realized something happened last night at the at the game, and I realized that the the heaviness had lifted the, the 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 heaviness had just dissipated and I don't know when it happened, but I looked back and I think it was I think it was just simply being in the presence of God's people, and and if it works at a softball game, think how much more it works at church or in a Bible study. So thank you for being here tonight. And, uh, I want to, uh, join Corey, Corey and, and better watch my time because we have some very special missionary guests that are going to be sharing with us, uh, toward the end of the service. But, um, <clears throat> I, uh, just wanted to remind you that this Sunday, um, I, I, well, I need to mention two things. Number one, as you all know, um, and I'm, I realized there's just part of us here tonight, but others will be watching this online tomorrow. Um, as you know, we went from having the church divided into uh, everybody gets one Sunday out of four to now we have the, the congregation divided in half where we, we ask folks to, you know, you'll have these two Sundays or these two Sundays. And uh, I've had so many questions. Please understand this, come anytime you want to. It's not a, you're not allowed on, if it's not your Sunday, we don't have any, uh, um, guardians outside that will say, weren't you here last week? You know, that, that will never happen. We're just, we set the, uh, the, the church into two groups just to help us as we learn to manage who's coming and who's not coming. And, um, we have folks that are very diligent. You know, I I come the first and third Sunday or the second and fourth Sunday. And, um, I had somebody that wanted prayer last week said, I feel like I've sinned I said what, what what's wrong? and they said, I've come every Sunday and I said, It's not a sin, and you don't need forgiveness. it's all right um, it, it's just uh, it's just we're we're all working our way through this. so I want the church to know that we're not we're not saying you know everybody come all the time. But that's just a guideline. It helps us manage. It helps us create the social distancing, that sort of thing. But uh, anytime you feel like you need to be in church, always come. And uh, we want to remind you also that uh, over in Brown Chapel, uh, we have um, have it set up as overflow for those that um, want, want a masked um, environment only. Um, I, I think it's I think probably most people or a good number of people wear a mask into church and then remove it. But there are some that just say, no, I'd rather, I'd rather have the mask the whole time. And you're welcome in here, of course. But I also want you to know that Brown Chapel is set up for those that maybe have extra health challenges or concerns. I know we've said all of this, but um, with so many people and we're afraid word doesn't get to everybody effectively or well. So we just wanted you to know. Um, father, as we open our heart again to the life of Moses tonight, strengthen us and prepare our hearts for what you are doing in this mighty search for your hand and your heart, understanding your works and your ways. We'll give you thanks because you're helping us in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Hey, and I want to mention this Sunday, um, this coming Sunday, I'm going to be talking Lord willing about um, wrapping our heads around the idea of unanswered prayer. Um, We must move past the point, uh, especially in a time as challenging as this. We must move past the point where we think that if God doesn't seem to answer something for us, that he doesn't love us or he's not going to. So we're gonna talk about the, the, not only maybe some reasons for unanswered prayer, but we're gonna talk about the, 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 the idea, the mindset behind it. And uh, we wanna go deeper than reasons. We wanna go into some understanding. Um, the following Sunday, um, the, the Lord willing, um, I wanna to talk to you on the subject of who's speaking to me. Um, I'm finding that the more stretched we get, the more I hear this question. Pastor, I have trouble. Is this just me I'm hearing, you know, in my devotional time? Uh, Is it the Lord? Is it me? Or God forbid, is it the devil? And um, we want to talk next Sunday, not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday, about understanding the three voices that all of us are prone to hear. The voice of self, the voice of uh, of Satan, and the voice of the Spirit and we'll talk about how we can walk in God's wisdom. Okay. Um, the scripture we are going to look at tonight, you have it on your notes. Uh, it it might be on the screen. I don't know if you guys have it or not, but it would be Exodus chapter three in just a moment. We're also going to be reading from Deuteronomy 32. Now the story that we're picking up on tonight, you'll find in Exodus three, Exodus four, and in the book of Acts chapter seven. Now, um, We've talked about Moses, um, in, in, in discussing his journey, we've talked about his origins, and we talked about what caused him to leave Egypt. We basically covered the first 40 years of his life, and tonight and next week, we're going to discuss the essence of the second 40 years of his life. It's, it's his time called the wilderness, Now, somebody told me, and I got their permission to share this, they said, Pastor, I feel like I've been in the wilderness. I said, well, most of us do. He said, you don't understand. I feel like I've been in the wilderness for five years. And I said, well, could be 40, you know, and uh, we have that kind of relationship. I could joke with him like that. He said, "I, I think what bothers me is you talk about being in the wilderness so much, I think you've talked me into the wilderness, He said, if you hadn't talked about the wilderness so much, I think I'd be fine. And I let him talk and I said, let me tell you something. If I hadn't talked about the wilderness so much, you wouldn't be fine. You'd be dead in a ditch somewhere. And he thought a minute, he laughed. He said, yeah, you're probably right. We do talk about the wilderness a lot, not because that's our normal existence, but because as we study the lives of great servants of God, we find that there are very few. You're hard pressed to find a servant of God with whom we have a lot of detail of their lives. There are a lot of servants that are just mentioned briefly. And even even the apostles, we we only have just a glimpse into a short period of their life. But beginning in the Old Testament with Abraham and going forward through David and to Jesus himself, we find that there are very few instances when it is not part of someone's life that is used greatly of God to spend time in the wilderness. Now it's not a necessarily a physical wilderness, not a geographical wilderness, but it's that place. And you know, when I say wilderness, you, you think back to a job or a town or a place where God had you. The wilderness is the place that can be defined this way. You are helpless And you are there until you learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're talking about Moses in the wilderness tonight. We're not going to keep him there. Uh, We're going to get him out of the wilderness next week. But tonight we want to, uh, or, or, or next lesson I should say, tonight we want to understand that something magnificent happened during these 40 years. I don't even know if we can collect 40 total verses that tell us much about his time there. But it was 40 years where he raised a family, uh, uh, found the love of his life. But it was the place where it appears that he also gave up on every dream that he once held. He was a man being groomed, if Josephus is correct, to be the next pharaoh but instead he finds himself being a a shepherd in the wilderness. It was a time of preparation and loved ones. We can never ever overestimate the value of preparation. I think it was DL Moody that said, if he learned um, that he had uh, 20 years left of ministry, that he would spend 19 of them in further preparation. And um, it, it's, um, it's hard for us to grasp because I don't mean to imply that the wilderness makes you perfect. None of us come out of the wilderness. Perfect. I mean, Moses was such a work in in process. God was still working on him on the way out. Uh, you know, um, Moses, I'm going to use you for this purpose. I'm going to use you this way. And Moses comes down with the yeah buts, yeah but, yeah but, yeah but. And, and he is so reluctant to do what God calls him to do. The Bible says God got angry with him. I mean, how would you feel in your great moment of calling where God reveals your destiny and it's greater than you could possibly imagine? And you manage to make God mad with you before the introduction is over? That was Moses. You say, well, maybe it didn't really mean that. Well, look at him on his way to Egypt. He checked into the Holiday Inn and God tried to kill him. I mean, that's what it says. God decided to kill him there because he had not settled the issue of circumcision and dedication with his own boys in his own family. And God was saying, Moses, you can't go back and try to talk about this calling in this destiny if you haven't lived it out in your own life. So Moses is all is, is being corrected not, and taught not only in the wilderness, but even as he's being dragged out of the wilderness, going back to Egypt. But with all that being said, take away the Holiday Inn incident. Take away Moses saying, all right, all right, I'll let Aaron speak for you. Take away all of that. And you have to understand something powerful shaped that man for 40 years in the wilderness even though the bible does not spend a lot of time talking about what happened every day was god shaping moses into a vessel he could use i don't think he learned a lot of theology in the wilderness sometimes you do but he learned a lot about character and it hap- some of it was, was so subtle from God that he didn't even understand what was happening, but God had shaped him into something significant by the time he left. Um, Moses, when he was talking about God's care for Israel, he, he said, when he set all the nations of the earth in their boundaries, God loved you. And how did he show his love? By putting you in the wilderness first. Says in Deuteronomy 32:10, in a desert land he found him, in a barren and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye. We don't understand a God that thinks that way, but God said, now he put this nation here and he put that nation there, he put that nation there, but you he loved. Extra special. So what did he do? He put you in the wilderness. He said, I I put you in a place where you would learn what no other nation could learn where they had been placed. Exodus three says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him. And let me interrupt myself to say this for the 700th time since I've been pastor here. Please take note that sometimes God doesn't begin to speak to us until he sees us respond to his tugging, to his pulling. When the Lord saw he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Now, we're going to talk about uh, three basic things tonight before we try to wrap it up with some Christian life lessons. We want to discover that we go into the wilderness for one of at least one of three reasons primarily. Um, we secondly want to discuss that how long we spend in the wilderness is determined by several factors. And then finally, um, how can we know it's time to leave the wilderness? Because I can tell you somebody that has been in the wilderness, sooner or later they begin to cry out and it becomes their favorite psalms. How long, O Lord? How long? How long? They, they realize, they've they, they've stopped griping and they've stopped complaining, they've stopped blaming God, and they realize that they are in the care of the master designer, the master potter. And so they've stopped saying, "Why me?" and why this?" And they just begin to say, "How long? How long does it take for me? To get out of the wilderness, we're going to talk about that, and then wrap it up with some life lessons uh, before Pastor Tommy comes uh, with our with our missions part of the service. Um, You see in your notes, we may enter the wilderness for one of three reasons. Now, these aren't the only uh, three reasons that we can enter the wilderness, but they seem to be the most common. Number one, uh, and 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 this is not true usually of the first time around in the wilderness. But sometimes it is a time of delight, of spiritual retreat. God calls you away. And if you are seasoned enough and mature enough, you understand that when God calls you away from everything, it may be a time when he wants to pour something special into you that you couldn't get any other time. Uh, For instance, Israel's transit from Egypt to the promised land. I I know you've heard this so much, but um, I, I just have to hit it again tonight. We need to remember that Israel's journey in the wilderness was God's will. It was God's will. It just wasn't God's will for them to be there 40 years, but the wilderness was God's will. Bible scholars tell us that God could have done what he seemed to be trying to do In the wilderness, in about 12 weeks. And that makes sense. I mean, we won't go into all the details of why, but you can, I think, make a legitimate case for this. God brought Israel into the wilderness and planned for them to be there about 12 weeks. But 12 weeks turned into 40 years. It began as an opportunity for God to show them things they would never know. It began as an opportunity for God to teach them this lesson. Man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds from the mouth of God, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's what Deuteronomy says. Um, So we may go into the wilderness because God says, hey, I just want to call you away. I just want you to turn off the TV for a couple of weeks or, or get away for a retreat or interrupt life somehow. Whatever it is, God's saying, I want you to come into transit. I want to have time with you that is delegated just for me. Um, a- another example of that is Jesus. When Jesus went from baptism into the wilderness, the Bible puts it this way, It says he was led by the spirit into the wilderness, not lured by the devil, not driven by demons, but Jesus was led by the spirit. When Jesus went into the wilderness for those 40 days, we need to remember that he was being led by the father. And it was a time of great intimacy with the father and great temptation uh, testing, but a time of intimacy. It was a time of delight. Now, the second reason we get drawn into the wilderness of our life is um, sometimes it's a time of discipline. Sometimes we have just got to get some things set right with God. And sometimes God in his love will pull us away He will pull us away from our routine in order to administer discipline. You say, well, that's not the God I serve. You know, my God is all blessing. My God loves me. Well, the writer of Hebrews has some pretty strong words. He says, if you don't endure the correction of the Lord, you need to go back and see if you're even saved. And he uses a, what is a vulgarism in our, you know, our modern English. He says, you're not sons, you're bastards. He, or, or you're not children, you're bastards. In other words, he says, you, you may, you're trying to be something you are not. Because every child of God is going to go through the wheelhouse of correction. Every time uh, that someone gives their heart to the Lord Jesus, they need to understand... As they are being placed into their destiny, God says that he will correct us. And that's what Israel's wandering was about, those 40 years um, in the wilderness. You know, uh, last week, I think it was, I was talking about my parents and how I felt their unconditional love. I don't know how old I was when I I caught on to this. Uh, Don't get me wrong. Discipline was never pleasant. It was never pleasant. I never thanked God for whippings until until those whippings were long behind me. um no pun intended and um but I came to the realization i I don't know, I guess I was probably in elementary school. It happened I think for years before I really could wrap my head around it. I came to the point where I realized that when I was caught and you know. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was in elementary school. There wasn't a lot of sin you can get into. Um, I have a friend that said I was raised in church. And he said, I just had all I could take. He was a student at Southwestern University. Then it was Southwestern Bible College. He said, I just decided I was going to have a day of sin. He said, I'd lived my whole life for the Lord. He said, I was a, a sophomore in Bible college. I was fed up. He said, I just decided I was gonna have a day of sin, do the most wicked thing imaginable. And I said, what'd you do? He said, I went to a Tarzan movie and smoked an entire pack of Camel cigarettes. <laughs> and I said, what else? He said, oh, that was it. He said, that was all I could squeeze into one day. I said, and so that that got the, the itch out of you, huh? He said, yeah, he said, that was my day of sin. And he started crying and I, I wanted to tell him, you know, that's not too bad. That's not bad for a day of sin. But he started crying and he said, you know, I am so glad that that's all it was. I'm so glad that all it took was a 35 cent pack of cigarettes and a 30 uh, or 40 cent movie ticket to tell me that my affection and my heart was with the Lord. I, I, I said, at what point during the pack, at what point during the movie, did you feel the convicting power of God? He said, Oh, he said, I don't know. He said, sometimes I think God was laughing at me, but he said, when I came to grips with it, he said, I tell you what I felt. He said, I felt the arms of a father who loves me beyond description. And he said, I realized he said, Oh, I've made plenty of mistakes. And, um, he, he, oh, I don't know. He's probably 15, 20 years older than I was. He says, but it's never left me that no matter how frustrated I get or how carnal I get or how whatever I get, he said, I realize there's nothing like the arms of God around me. And boy, that helped me. That, that really helped me. Um, you say, how, how did it help you? Well, I've never smoked a pack of camels. I can tell you that, but I'm teasing. But, um, Um, it was, what I learned is that when I got caught, I felt a sense of relief that I had been caught. It was a relief to me that my mom and dad knew that I had done whatever it was. I mean, it's, you know, it's small on the scale of major sins, but I, I, I realized that there was security in being caught. There was security in being corrected. I started to say security in being grounded. That was before grounding. It was was whipping. I mean, we got whippings. But, uh, But there was security in that. And I want to tell you this, though I'm not proud of the times I failed the Lord, when I have been sent to the wilderness before it was over, I was more aware of the love of God than before I went into the wilderness. So it's a time of discipline. Sometimes we go into the wilderness just as a time of discipleship. Okay, now now what I said was sometimes it's a delight. God just draws us for fellowship with himself. Sometimes it's discipline. He corrects us and chastises us. But sometimes we go into a hard place Because it's there that we learn what we would not learn otherwise. Um, You look at Elijah, John the Baptist, you look at Moses, you look at David, Jesus. And we don't know exactly what Paul meant by spending a couple of years in Arabia, but the principle of the wilderness was in Paul's life if it wasn't a geographical wilderness. And it was a time when... Um, you know, when Elijah's introduced to us, it was Elijah, the Tishbite. He comes out of the wilderness, Elijah, the Tishbite. I remember reading in an old uh, Hebrew commentary, um, you know, where was Tishba? And this, this, this scholarly guy that, that didn't feel a word was worth uttering if it had, if it didn't have a half dozen syllables in it. He said something that just stuck out. It didn't sound like him at all. He says, so out came Elijah from the armpit of Israel. The armpit of Israel, Tishba. And I began to do some reading and it was, you know, nothing good seemed to come from Tishba. You know, it was said of Jesus later, can can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, Nazareth was, was high cotton compared to Tishba. But out of that wilderness, Elijah came and impacted his world. And the central lesson in the wilderness, as I said, is always man does not live by bread alone. But can I tell you one other thing before we move on to the next point? Sometimes God takes us into the wilderness in sheer mercy. You say, I don't know, Pastor, I've never felt much mercy in the wilderness. Well, think about Israel leaving Egypt. Well, I'm, you're looking the other direction. Leaving Egypt. And God leads them across the promised land is right here. And what does he do? And he doesn't do this. He does this. They go way down into the wilderness. They, they lap after lap for 40 years, but when they enter the land, they enter from the other side, there's no place and no way God could have taken them further out of their way to get into the promised land. But there's one sentence that explains why God did it. It says that he did that, he did this because he was, a, uh, he was concerned that if they went straight into Philistia, which would be their first stop, and you remember the, 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 the Philistines, they were the, they were the Klingons of the ancient world. I mean, they were, they were horrible, horrible. He said, if they go and fight the Philistines first, they will become disheartened. If they face their, their toughest enemy first, they would be disheartened and they would go back to Egypt. Now, there was always somebody in the church that says we ought to go this way when the Lord says, no, I want you to go this way. And it's not because people are being unspiritual. It's not because God isn't gonna keep his promise. It's the mercy of God knowing that if I lead you any way other than the wilderness, it will overwhelm you. It will overwhelm you and it will destroy you. So sometimes God keeps us in the wilderness simply to show us mercy. Uh, Here's the second thing. Now, the, the first thing is, you know, we enter the wilderness for one of those three reasons usually. The second thing I want to mention for just a couple of minutes is the length of time in the wilderness is determined by maybe three things. Again, there are more, but... I think we can make a pretty strong case for my length of time in the wilderness depends on several factors. Number one, how well do I learn what God's trying to teach me? Jesus was in and out in 40 days. And not only did he pass the test, he has the anointing of the spirit upon him. And he goes forth casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. I'd say he learned pretty well. 40 days. He got his full degree. Um, our, our obedience can determine how long we're in the wilderness. Jesus was in for 40 days. There's a typo in my notes. It, I don't know if it is in yours or not. Um, but uh, Israel was in not for 40 days. Um, Israel was in for 40 years because of their disobedience. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the only reason God keeps you in the wilderness is because you're either spiritually dense or you're just disobeying. No, there are some stays in the wilderness that defy logic and defy explanation. But generally speaking, when you get into the wilderness, learn what you're there to learn, obey God, and generally you move on. That's generally now, there's a part two to the sermon, but we don't have time for it tonight. Um, sometimes the length of time in the wilderness is determined just by God's mercy. I, I just use the example of Israel avoiding Philistia. Um, when Elijah had his brook dry up, the brook Kareth, um, he probably felt like, God, where are you? Why, why have you allowed this? You've taken such good care of me. But one of the things you learn in the wilderness is that there are a lot of resources, but there is only one source and that source is God. And don't be surprised if resources dry up and resources fail to deliver, but the source never fails. He can be, he can be trusted. The third thing we need to look at is when does God say it's time to leave? Okay. What are, what are some things we look for? Now, again, this is, let me tell you, life in the wilderness is not science. It is an art. An art means there are some rules, but there are not hard and fast rules. Science, like mathematics is bam, 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 bam. Uh, there, there, there are a lot, there are rules and those rules are pretty concrete, but in art, There's so much left up to what happens, to what is seen, to what is felt. So when God says it's time to leave, it may be number one, because the lessons have been learned. It may be that the lessons have been learned. Whenever you go into a dry spell, um, one way you can shorten it is go ahead and just decide you're not going to blame God and get mad with God and pout with God. I've tried that. We've all tried that. It's counterproductive. And all it means is you stay in the wilderness longer. Go right to the heart of God. What are you trying to teach me? Lord, what are you trying to show me? And um, why am I going through this? And i tell you what I found through the years, whether it was a tough assignment or a tough period in my life or bad news personally in my life or trials, whatever, whatever, whatever. I have found that the sooner I can get my heart connected with the Lord and say, Lord, what is this really about? What is this about? And I think you understand what I'm trying to say. It's not about money, really, or it's not about people, really. It's not about building a marriage, really, or raising kids, really. These are just places where the sprouts are coming up. What is this really about? And the sooner I can begin to understand what God is after in that moment, the sooner I can learn. Okay, secondly, I need to not only learn the lesson, but I need to be able to articulate the lesson. And, um, you know, it's like the professor that... You know, the the famous illustration, he has the big glass container and, um, you know, he puts in the big rocks and says, is the container full? No, it's not full. He puts in the smaller pebbles and says, is the container full? And they say, yes, yes, it's full now. And he says, no, it's not. And he gets sand and he pours the sand in that filters down through the pebbles all the way up to the top. And he says, is the container full now? And they say, yes, now it's full. And then he pours in water and the water goes down between the sand. And, and they finally realize what's going on. And He says, now, what does this teach you? And those eager sophomores in college says, it teaches us that there's always more you can get in the box. And that very wise professor said, no, it teaches you that if you don't put in the boulders first, you'll never get them in. And it was a lesson about doing the first things first, getting the foundational things done. There'll always be gravel. There'll always be little rocks. There'll always be sand. There'll always be water. But get the boulders in first or they'll never fit. And it's the same thing about being in the wilderness and, and God wants us to be able to articulate what we've learned as much as possible. We want to learn the lesson, articulate the lesson. And then thirdly, in this category, God wants our heart to learn to respond to his overtures. God is after Relationship and relationship grows in the wilderness like it does in few places, in few places. Um, you know, I, I love, I just, I love it when I see somebody that's been married six or eight months, you know, and they just, they are, they're just, it's just beautiful to watch that love. And it, it might continue for years and years, but I tell you, and I'm not just saying this because uh, I'm getting as old as dirt myself, but I want to tell you something. I, I have begun to realize that I see a depth of love and maturity in folks that have been married for 30, 40, 50 years. You'd think they'd lost interest by now. You'd think their passion would have disappeared by now, and maybe in some ways it has lessened. But if you watch those people that really have spent that kind of time together, you see something in their eyes. You see something in the grabbing of a hand. You see something that wasn't there their first year of marriage. And I'm not not castigating the first year of marriage. I think it's beautiful and wonderful. God thought so much of the first year of marriage. He told the men of Israel, you don't go to war. You don't get involved in other things. You win the heart of your wife. It's a beautiful thing. But I, I want to tell you that the longer you walk with God and the longer you spend through those wilderness places, the longer the depth of your relationship to him. I'm so glad my dad taught me and I, and I think I learned it well. He taught me, he said, never discount somebody because they're old. He said, never discount somebody because they're not as strong as they used to be or they're not as fast as they used to be. He says, because there's something in their life. And I shook my head like I understood, and I didn't. I mean, junior high kids don't understand that. But I shook my head like I understood. And I began to understand what he was saying is that there are some things that, ripen with the passing of time that just can't ripen otherwise. That's one of the values of the wilderness. Now, let me wrap it up here and ask Pastor Tommy to come. I want to give you just four quick Christian life lessons. Remember next week or next lesson, we're getting Moses out of the wilderness. So you're going to have to grab this on the run The first Christian life lesson is this, your time in the wilderness, whether you want it to or not, will cause you to focus on God. Now that's a good thing and it's by design. It causes you to focus on God. Number two, the wilderness is designed really to simplify life, to simplify life. I had a dream years ago, and um, please don't don't read anything into this. I don't believe I'm about to die or anything like this. This was years ago, but um, I, I was I was um, while well, I was when I was working on my doctorate, and I had I had just so many things going. I came in and looked at my desk, and I literally had four stacks of things that all needed to be dealt with, and every one of them were about this big, and. Um, I was struggling to think, what do I do next? Which is the most important? I've got to be a good pastor, but I've also got to be a good student. I've got to be a good daddy and you know, I've got to be a good husband and I'm, I'm working on all of these stacks and the Lord gave me a dream uh, and it's very personal. So I'm just going to jump to the end of it. And he helped me understand some things that I needed to deal with. And, and in that dream, at the end of it, I walked into a room and, um, um, I realized, I realized when I walked into the room that I had died. I was gone. It wasn't, it wasn't a warning from God, like set your house in order. You know, you're about to die. I just realized that I had died and my wife and children um, who had not yet grown were in there. And um, the, the, the pastors of this church were saying, Ramona, we, we hate it, but we all know this. The Lord took him in his in his time. And she said, I know that. And it was not, it was not a time of morbidity, but, um, she, they said, what are you going to do now? And this is what my wife said. She said, well, because he put everything in order, she put her hand on a little stack of papers about this tall. She says, this is what I have to deal with. He's taken care of everything else. And it has taken such a load off of me. And the interesting thing is that I recognized the papers from those four stacks on my desk. And I listened to my wife say that she couldn't couldn't see me or hear me. It was like, you know, uh, Bruce Willis, I guess. And um, she couldn't see me, but she was so relieved that all she had to do was deal with this little stack. And the angel of the Lord in that dream spoke to me this. He said, for you to do what I want you to do in the time you have left, you have to get smart and decide what needs to be in a stack and what needs to be swept away. And I woke up and I felt like God had given fresh meaning to my life. I, I, I realized, and it wasn't something I could do overnight, but I felt like God was saying, you have to simplify. You have to let this stuff go because nobody's gonna remember this when you're gone. Your family's not gonna remember this when you're gone, but this matters. The wilderness is designed to help you take those first steps to simplicity. Well, it looks like I've got you scared now. You're either, you're either terrified or, or, or gone into intercessory prayer for me. But let's go to the third life lesson. This happens in the wilderness and it's a little unpleasant But wilderness experiences expose our weakness. Whatever our tendency to weakness is, when I read the biographies, not just in Bible, but the biographies of great men and women of God, I find that God dealt with so many of their insecurities and so much of their baggage During these desolate times, you say, well, what about Jesus? Jesus was perfect. Uh, That's right. Jesus was perfect. And that's why the three temptations of Satan were dealt with the three general areas of life. Jesus would say later, Satan comes and finds nothing in me. There were no weaknesses for Satan to tempt in Jesus. But what he did is he attacked the three major things that we worry and struggle over. And Jesus was victorious in it all. So when you go to the wilderness, by design, focus on God. By design, let the Lord simplify your life. Loved ones, believe me, you will be surprised when you say, Lord, help me simplify. Help me give my attention to what matters. You'll be surprised what will drop off of your radar and what'll drop, drop out of your life. It's almost like you become a, a minimalist. I'm not talking about furniture, but I'm talking about in, in things that matter. And the last thing I want to share with you is that whatever time you spend in the wilderness, it equips you to lead others through the wilderness. Uh, God let Moses have his 40 years of glory then he sent him to the wilderness for 40 years. Why? Because he had a whole nation to lead through the wilderness. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 to 4, I think that's in your notes, says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. I am going through the wilderness because my children will go through the wilderness. I am going through the wilderness because my wife will go through the wilderness. I go through the wilderness because my friends, the church will go through a wilderness. And if I respond right to the wilderness, God will enable me to take what the enemy meant to destroy me and it will actually turn into bread and life for those who are on the journey with me. So as we leave Moses tonight, like I said next time we'll 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 get him into the courts of Pharaoh. But as we leave Moses, please understand that every difficulty you're struggling with right now and and it seems to be that with this pandemic there, there seems to be that even our gardens have turned to wildernesses and 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 deserts and dry places, but whatever you 're going through, please understand that um, please understand that God will use what you are going through. God will use what you are struggling with right now he hasn 't lost control he hasn 't lost his ability to take what the enemy means for evil and turn it to good. He hasn't forgotten the promise he made in Romans 8 that all things will work together for good to those who love the Lord, who are the called according to his purpose. That's why we still do church. That's why we still plan for the future. And that's why we still do missions. It's because God has not been stopped at all. We have some, we have some dry places we're walking through, but we're going to get through it and we will get through it with a fresh anointing on us. Pastor Tommy, if you'll come, I want to just pray a blessing over the congregation tonight. Father, help us because I know, I I know, I look out on this congregation, I know some, this is the anniversary of the loss of of, of their best friends, their spouses, their children. Lord, to some, this, this last four or five months have brought them to the point where all of their resources are used up and they don't know if their business is going to survive or they don't know if their job's going to be there next week. Lord, we are in some dry, dry places, but we know that to Israel, you were a pillar of cloud by day so it didn't get too hot. You were a pillar of fire by night so it didn't get too cold. And we ask now in the strong and powerful name of Jesus that you would let each of us know that you see us where we are. If there's any listening, maybe online, that don't know you as Lord and Savior, I I ask you, friend, to, to contact the church And just tell whoever answers the phone, I want to talk to somebody about giving my life to Jesus. We'd love to pray with you and help you get started on your journey of grace. Father, you are God, not only of the mountains, but you're God of the valleys. You're God, not only in this season, but you're God in every season. And we remember the words of Jeremiah who said, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness, O God. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.